0: I'm Jenny Rerick.
1: I'm Jay Weedle. And And
0: you're you're listening listening to to the Fit Fit to Speak podcast, podcast, a show dedicated to giving coaches and trainers practical tips on how to communicate what they know in a way other people understand. This is Jenny speaking. Jay is not with me today. Instead of Jay, I have Jenna DeAngelis, who I know because she was a participant in one of my Speakers League's cohorts. I could say that, cohort. And since she joined, we've stayed in contact because Jenna is really an impressive human and is always working on some project. Jenna's here to talk with me about teaching skill acquisition, which is really important, not only from a communication standpoint, but just for any, any person who listens to this, who's a coach, a trainer, maybe you're a health practitioner, and you're trying to impart your knowledge or work with your clients or athletes to to do something to learn how to do something to really understand why they're doing it and the process in which they can improve jenna welcome thank you can you just tell us a little bit about where you work and what you do
1: yeah i'm a t-rex coach at equinox i work out of the hudson yards location in new york city on the west side at Equinox as a TRX coach, I do what you would, you know, your traditional personal training in terms of strength and movement, nutrition and regen. I am also a USA Swimming certified coach. I also teach out of our pool on our, our second floor. So I teach personal training for people wanting to swim, wanting to compete, as well as group swim.
0: Yeah, you do it all. And not to mention, you work on a lot of side business projects, which is... Something I, I do. I want yes, to I'm also
1: heavily involved in uh, in in some of the education projects at Equinox.
0: Yeah, very cool, Jenna. Since I've known you, every project that you've made me aware of that you've worked on has had something to do with systems. So some of them were business systems or tech systems, and then also the systems that you use to teach your clients and athletes. And I think that's a really sets up a nice foundation for what we're going to talk about today, which is skill acquisition, because skill acquisition is our ability to teach it well, is relates to our ability to understand the system as a whole and break that down. So can you just maybe broadly talk to us about what you think systems have to do with skill acquisition?
1: Sure. And the best way to start here is if any personal trainer, strength coach is listening, if you think about a compound lift, a compound lift works on a continuum with progressions and regressions and they build up, you can move forward, you can move back. And it's the same thing with teaching generals movement skills to folks. I approach it as everyone's an athlete. Sometimes our sport is life. So even simple movement skills, not everyone's going out there to sprint a hundred meter dash but they need to navigate carrying their groceries up and down sidewalks in the city with curbs and stairs and up and down subway steps. So when you break down movement, take it out of that lens of like a deadlift and you're looking about, well, can I move forward? Can I move backward? Can I move side to side? Can I do it off balance? You can put it on a speed agility continuum in the same light. And that's how I often break down movement. What level of sport is the person in front of me trying to compete at? That may be life, that may be running their first marathon. And from there, we're on the continuum of movement skills, are they? Hmm. And we can build from there.
0: Yeah. I think the general principle of, or just that word continuum is really interesting because I think for any coach or trainer or health professional, if you don't understand that system as a whole, you won't be able to teach it because that is the learning process is helping someone understand where it begins and then where it ends and where it ends is obviously subjective to their goals or whatnot. But that's really interesting. Now, I know that we're going to talk more specifically about the process you use to teach skill acquisition. And then I want to know a little bit about some of the ways or the communication strategies or tools you use to teach skill acquisition. And the one of the examples I know you wanted to use is about teaching swimming. So before we get into talking about that, can you just give us some background about how you got into coaching swimming?
1: Sure. I first became certified as a swim coach in college. I had been working as a lifeguard on campus as a part-time job, make some money while I was going to school. And through the lifeguards and our, our head lifeguard, we had the opportunity to also then get certified as a WSI, which is a water safety instructor that's certified through the Red Cross. Because on our campus, we also offered weekend swim classes to the local community. So It was a range of kids to adults learn how to swim. And, you know, I was like, why not? That seems pretty cool to be able to, to teach this as well. And I had been swimming my whole life. I'd been an open water swimmer. I learned to swim in the Bay out on Eastern Long Island and in the ocean. And for me learning to swim, I, I learned to swim before I can remember. I barely remember kind of kicking on the shore is what they called like a guppy okay. um, level. And swimming was just so ingrained that I really enjoyed sharing that with others and and teaching others to be able to do this amazing skill and to enjoy the water. I was always a little baby shark if you will and so when that opportunity came up in college I, I took a hold of it and it was amazing to get to teach folks in the community. I hadn't really used it until I got back into Equinox years later, but now it's one of the most rewarding parts of of my job.
0: So when you are at Equinox teaching and coaching swimming, what types of people are you working with?
1: I work with a broad range, majority, the majority of my clientele at our gym, we are 18 and older. So I am teaching mostly adults currently, although through USA Swimming, I am certified to teach all levels youth through adult. I have every skill level ranging from folks, and I'll actually break these into two categories because I do approach their skill acquisition a little differently. I have folks who don't know how to swim and are learning from scratch. Mm. And here there are two categories that I split them into. One is they have a legitimate fear and anxiety in the water and that is the barrier to entry for swimming or has always been okay and then there's also the folks who don't know how to swim because they they literally don't know what to do when they got in the water they just don't have those skills yet okay from there i have advanced beginners and more intermediate folks folks who learn to swim once upon a time or used to swim but they're looking to still re focus in on their technique and potentially learn, relearn technique, because it has changed over the years since even when I was first getting certified. And then I also have a tier of competitive athletes. I have folks who are trying to do triathlons and swimming's maybe not their strong suit. And they're looking to be able to not only acquire the skill of freestyle, but learn to maintain it over distance and build endurance. And, I, and then I also have competitive, former competitive collegiate swimmers who, you know, have gotten out of it since college and they're looking to get a good workout in and they know they love swimming and they know they can push themselves in the pool. So they are looking for a a great cardiovascular program.
0: Wow. That's a, that's a wide range. And I'd imagine that when you're coaching that range of people with different skill levels, not even different skill levels, but also mentally how they're approaching, what it is they're doing in the pool, that having having an understanding your skill acquisition teaching system is really important because all of them are going to fall somewhere different in that system. Before we talk about that, I know in some of the notes that you had sent over to me, and I thought this was really interesting, so I want to mention it, and you, you mentioned that you're qualified to teach kids as well, even though you don't currently do that very much. What is the difference for skill acquisition when it comes to teaching or coaching kids versus adults?
1: The biggest thing, and I'm constantly talking to my adults about this, is when you're a kid, learning to swim is very much play. And it sounds very... I don't know, woo-woo, if you will, but a lot of learning to swim is learning how to feel the water. You know, that sounds a certain way, but what we mean by feel the water is you're moving through a different medium and you're moving in a different position than you normally do, right? We're normally upright. Now you're learning to move horizontally through water. A big component is getting comfortable doing that and understanding how to move efficiently in that position through the water and where your body position needs to be and how to balance. It's like when a kid starts to learn, and my niece is a great example. My niece is one, she absolutely loves the water. And a lot of what she does in the water is just move it. And it's very similar to a very basic drill that we teach in swimming, which is sculling. And that the simple concept behind that is to just feel the water as you move it. And how are you manipulating it? Is there a better position that you can move the water easier, you can move more water. And sometimes it's a game of of millimeters where if I angle up a little bit or angle down, I all of a sudden find this pocket where I can propel myself with much less effort. And a lot of the times I'm cueing my clients to go ahead and play around and find if there's a little better positioning and it's very hard for adults to do. And a lot of that also is because We're so self aware as adults. And when you are learning to swim as a kid, there's for USA swimming, there's six levels of competence progressions, and that includes physical, cognitive, dry land, and nutrition. All those encompass components of each level. And you're talking about a span of six years to 18 years. So that's a whole lot of time where you're just learning skill development. And now we're asking an adult to hop in the water and learn to move and learn to acquire these skills. And it's it's very challenging, it can be very daunting. Yeah. So that's where a lot of my philosophy and my approach to really breaking the system down is, can I make this as simple as possible? Can I make this as bite-sized as possible where we focus on one thing and drill that and get repetitions there until you feel comfortable. So if you mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable in the water, it's going to be very hard to move forward.
0: Yeah. What's interesting that what you're saying, and I mean, I think it's obvious. I just maybe haven't thought about it like that before is with kids. You're not doing so much teaching or coaching as you are just figuring out the, what environment you want to put them in so that they can almost learn themselves because kids have been exposed to so little that they they don't have a lot to compare it to. So just giving them that exposure and letting them explore as long as it's safe, generally they'll learn what they need to learn. But you're right. With adults, it's much different. You, Adults have lots of questions and they want they always want to compare it to something they already know. So there's a lot more, I think, explaining or they want you to relay something more precisely to them than then kids would do do you so can you talk a little bit about that when you're coaching or teaching adults are you trying to look for ways to simply get them exposure where they can explore for themselves or are you guiding them precisely through a specific process of learning
1: certainly a combination of both as is often the case with coaching it's a, a you know person to person basis i would I love how you put that because now that i think about it i think it's more the latter and i'll give you an example that popped into my mind is when i'm teaching breathing which is one of the first things you teach when you get someone in the water and that's literally at the wall dunking under and learning the process of exhaling through your nose nice and controlled popping up inhaling expanding your stomach And again, the majority of adults breathe backwards. As any strength coach will know, you see it on dry land as well. We like to breathe through our shoulders Mm -hmm. and our, our flotation device, our diaphragm, that, that is where you need to be breathing because that is your float. And that is where you need to be balancing and swimming from. And a funny example was me and one of my colleagues, another one of our swim coaches was with a client and they were going through this very same drill at the wall that we use where you, with adults, it's like, literally dunk under controlled four count exhale and pop up and he was asking for more along those same lines of how did you learn this how did you do this and you know my colleague Alex started laughing and he just goes crisscross applesauce and I came over to the other side with my client and he was like Jenna how did you learn to breathe when you were little and I in the water and I would I would thought for a second I laughed and I was like you know crisscross applesauce and when we were both kids how we learned to breathe in swimming lessons was you literally crossed your legs crisscross applesauce style dunked under and then you would play tea party where you would pretend to have a tea party under the water with all your fellow classmates and what that did was you got comfortable sitting under the water you know you're sipping tea you're blowing bubbles and you know, imagine having adults do that. <laughs> You're like, sit under the water and have a tea party. But to your point that I, both of us now adults and coaching swim, teaching swim, both of us immediately went back to that scenario as kids, both of us literally same thing, crisscross applesauce, right? That's how you breathe underwater mm-hmm. or you manage your your exhales underwater is, a, is an underwater tea party. And it's always tough because you, you kind of can't do that with adults. You do have to give them more of a progression. So what I'll do more often than not with adults is they start at the wall. And then I give them a kickboard and fins. And a lot of adults, they can start to grasp that flutter kick and they're fully supported with the fins and the kickboard. And I have them bob their head up and down and practice their breathing while they're kicking Mm. with the board. So they're supported. So it's a little different process than having a tea party under the water, but I'll give them something that's very specific where they're, they're practicing their flutter kick. They can lift their head because they have a board if they want to, Mm -hmm. but the idea is, is that they start to get comfortable putting their head down, exhaling through the water and seeing what happens when their body positions up high to the water and how they, and how they breathe either fluidly or if they feel like they're sinking and they can't get their head out. Um, because with kid again, with kids, it's a game with adults telling them that you breathe better with one goggle under the water and just clearing your mouth yeah. is definitely mentally very challenging.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, it's really interesting. And to me, it's also kind of sad because I also, I experienced this when I teach people how to speak when you're, when you're teaching or coaching kids, it's almost like you trick them into learning. You give them something that, you know, they're going to enjoy. And just by the process of playing that game, you know, that they're going to acquire the skills that they need to acquire. But with adults, adults are so much more image conscious and they're yes. so much less willing to look foolish or do something silly because of whatever image that might create or how they'll be judged by other people. And it's it's kind of sad because we we know yeah. that the learning process would be accelerated if we could do those same things. Because even when I teach speaking, something that I I have to overcome is, how do I get these people that I'm working with to be comfortable enough with me that they're not afraid to look like a fool and to do silly things in this environment? And as a coach, it's a big responsibility is how do I create that environment? Something you you talked about indirectly, but I, I want to get into is you talked about how you've been swimming since you can remember, and now you teach swimming That's really interesting to me because I think for a lot of people, something that you grow up doing and that you're good at because it's just been a part of your life, those can be the more difficult things to teach because it's not like you were fully aware of how you got from point A when you were super young to point B. How did you learn how to teach swimming?
1: As my approach to everything else, I look at it on a continuum. And I'll take freestyle for an example, or front crawl, which a lot of people are from stroke. A lot of people are familiar with there. are, If you look at front crawl, there are six phases to that stroke. Uh, And I'll actually include even before the six phases would be streamline or what we consider one line from head to toes, your, your balance and body position in the water and being okay. comfortable balancing just, uh, just under the surface. As we move we move much better when we're under the water, problem is we can't breathe in the water. We don't have gills. So mm-hmm. we need to be both as submerged as possible to re, uh, reduce drag, but close enough where we can just pop our mouth out a little bit and grab some air. But if you analyze freestyle, there are six, six phases. So there's entry and extension. There is catch and pull. And then there's exit and recovery, meaning when your arm's coming over the water. And I often include the kick in our first round where it's body position and balance because your kick will help with your buoyancy. And I teach along that those continuums. I, I start with body position and balance. And again, I think I've something I've alluded to but haven't really dove, dove into is, right, when you're learning, there's a big... There's a process of, right, you feel awkward and clunky and then you still feel awkward and clunky, but you sort of know when it feels better and it feels worse. And even though you may not know how to correct it, these are different stages of learning we learn as as strength coaches, um, you're able to at least become aware of when you're doing something ideally and not something that's not optimal. Mm -hmm. And that's where your coach comes in to make the adjustment and you're still just trying to get repetitions. And eventually you get enough repetitions where you become aware and then you can correct yourself. So as you walk through those different stages of learning, we start with body position balance, get comfortable being horizontal in the water and moving with the least amount of drag. And then from there, there's a continuum of skills for entry and extension. How do you line up? Entry and extension being how do you line up your hand entering into the water, and then extending your arm out in front of you. Because right, if you don't have balance and you're not in an optimal body position and you're not rotating through your hips, you're not lining up your arm optimally. I- ideally, you want your arm just to stretch forward right into its position. You don't wanna do that much work with your arm because it's not beneficial until it's under the water to be able to pull water behind you. And from there, we move on. Once entering and extension, we've established good habits there then we go to catch and pull. And then from there, managing up over the water, your recovery. Now, of course, there are times where I go out of that order depending on the person in front of me, what we're working on. But generally speaking, each stage supports the other right by the time you're getting to where your hand comes out of the water and goes over top, where any piece of your body that's out of the water weighs 10% more than under the water, because again, mm-hmm. we move better under the water, mm-hmm. your balance and everything supporting that needs to be pretty good. Otherwise, you're going to sink by just having your hand above the water. So the idea is that each stage builds on top of the other. And we do what I like to call just skills and drills. And even when we have a section of our workout where I'm going to put it together and have you swim. The focus is still, I do what I like to call fifties with focus, meaning you're going to swim 50 yards down and back. All you're focusing on is even if we haven't learned the four positions of the pull, and we're focusing on your entry, all you're thinking about, I'm putting one thing in your head because it can get very overwhelming really quick. All you're thinking about is, are you sliding your hand into the water? Are you hitting your optimal catch point or USA Swimming called the anchor point? Are you able to anchor in the water? And we just hyper-focus on each stage as each builds on top of the other until we put the full stroke together. So is that is that teaching
0: process something that was taught to you or is that evolved for you naturally over the course of teaching swimming?
1: That is something that was taught to me by one of my mentors at Equinox, Dan Daly. He really did a great job of isolating. He has a H2O swim program where it isolates freestyle in those six phases to help coaches then present it to swimmers. And I think a lot of that was also, interestingly enough, taking that and then seeing where, again, when I first got certified to coach, Swim stroke was a little different. We've enhanced it since then. So for me, seeing where it was and seeing now where it where it is, really looking at those different pieces of the stroke and seeing where okay, we need to hyper slow this down and work on every little skill so that right, it's not just I'm pushing my hand through the water. It's recognizing. And I just did this with a client the other day working on the pull and. She was like, what do you mean? There's four positions in the pole. I just pull my hand back and it's no, there are four distinct positions that you want your arm in. So you have optimal propulsion. And a lot of what I do is slow the stroke down. A lot of what I do is put them in self-limiting positions in the water to feel how, if one thing is off, you're losing your balance. And this works the same way with coaching someone on, on dry land too, is having them, you know, master balance and master motor control. It's, it's whether you're in the water or on dry land, it's, it's the same process. And, you know, I still have, you know, I have clients that, you know, they're very self-aware in the water because right. Again, going back to the example of kids, kids' brains are developing and their identity is still forming when you're teaching them. They're more, more likely to try something. Mm -hmm whereas adults we have our identities in our head and we don't like when we feel uncomfortable or feel uncoordinated but uh, you know coordination is is a learned skill it's mm-hmm. it's motor control
0: mm-hmm.
1: so when i have adults warming up and they're doing skips and you know side to side shuffles and things like that they they hate it it's, yeah. they hate it more than throwing them on a rower and having them do intervals <laughs> yeah. because they feel uncoordinated and clunky and they feel off balance and they feel uncomfortable and breaking that down into well, okay, you're gonna feel uncomfortable now, but here's the trajectory that we're gonna learn, mm-hmm. so that at the end of this process, you're not gonna feel
0: clunky. Yeah, yeah.
1: you're gonna feel comfortable, and you know and that because you've a, seen it. Yeah,
0: yes, and I've seen I it. I, a, I experienced that as well when I and yeah. you know because you went through my speakers league program is it, it it's the same thing. I break down the speaking skills, the body language, and the voice stuff the same way that you're explaining. Swimming, But to tell somebody that they're going to get better if they keep drilling this, even though we know that's true and we've seen proof of it, that person can't be certain of that because I think we all think we're special and that, well, I might be the one person who this won't work for. So I'm curious from a personality or a, a communications approach when someone is doubting themselves in that acquisition phase and what, in whatever it is that you're teaching them, how do you help them overcome that?
1: Sure. So this is where my, the art of coaching comes into play. And before I interject, I have a little rule in my head before I interject with any of my, coaching expertise or before I make an adjustment especially in the pool I try and ask my client just one more question about how they're feeling or where their head's at doing the drill just how's that feeling okay well what does okay mean and there are times where I know the exact correction that we need to make in order for this drill to click but if they're still uncomfortable, I then step back and go, okay, well, we're just going to do a couple laps where you practice this. I'm not going, I tell them and, you know, it's, it's hard because a lot of these, you know, I have a lot of type A folks who want, it, want you to correct something and want them to immediately make the correction and then it looks good and they don't like when they have to work through something. But I'll, I've learned over the years that sometimes the best thing is to tell them, listen, I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to say anything. We're just going to practice this. And yeah, maybe initially we were going to do 8.25s of it, and now we're going to do 12.25s of it. But I want you to just get comfortable with the move or with the drill before we start dialing in because there are also times where I'm sure of the correction and then I realize their brain is focused on something else and I do take a different approach. Because especially with swimming where there's so much going on, I want to know, hey, how's that feeling? Well, you know, we're working on entering the water, fingertips first. But then I was thinking about my hip rotation and my breathing felt off. Okay, well, what felt off? And of these things, pick one. One thing that you're going to focus on. I don't care what it is. Of those three things, you know, sometimes I'll be like, hey, I recommend of these three things, picking your breath because explaining that, right? If your breathing is off, nothing else is going to be on because you're uncomfortable when you can't breathe. But letting them pick the thing they want to focus on and, you know, oh, well, my hip, I lost my kick when I did that. Great. That's fine. I We're not focusing on your kick right now. And just getting them to hyper focus on the one thing, because what often happens is that one little thing clicks and that's a win on the board. Yeah. And to your point earlier, right? And this, this will go with this, excuse me, this, this will speak to a lot of what I also do with my strength clients and this concept of building a progression culture in with your clients, right? It's hard for them to think that they're going to achieve the end goal when they're struggling so hard, but if you can lay it out and you have a system of coaching where you can explain to them step by step, this is what we're going to master first. And this feels uncomfortable because we haven't gotten to this point, but we will there is much more buy-in to the process as a whole. And that's where you get long-term clients. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing where I'm, and this this is coming from, I'm a CFSC coach. So I have the CFSC system going on the strength floor too, where I don't have my clients barbell deadlift until they can successfully make their way through the kettlebell rack. And sometimes it's tough because they see other folks deadlifting with the trap bar and they want to do it but when i point over to the kettlebell rack and go hey you know when we started you were on the top shelf there and now we're midway through the second that's where the buy in comes in and it's the same thing with with swimming it's hey remember that drill that we used to do the entire time this side kick six kicks one stroke and switch where you were mostly side kicking the entire time and now it's our warm up and we're focusing on what you do with your arms now and not just your kick that's where you can lay out the bigger picture and that's where having a system helps because even if yes, I you know some some clients you take a little different approach because it is personal training, but overall you have a system that you can rely on. you have a structure mm-hmm. and the client feels much more confident and they're much more willing to trust you if you know that if they know there is always a why to what you're doing and when you're doing something and when you're not doing something. Mm-hmm. They know, my clients know that when they ask me, I always, I'm gonna have an answer and a reason for doing it. And they're not afraid to ask me, well, why are we doing this? Because mm-hmm. they know they know I have a plan. They know that there's an answer to that question. You know, why, why do I have to put my head lower in the water to breathe better? Well, they know I'm gonna come at them with, well, all this work we've done on your hip rotation and your hip position, your body position in the water, this word streamline that you've heard me say over and over again, like a broken record. That is why we're trying to get it. So your head's just, just at the surface because your hips are high and your head is low where you're not creating drag from your, from your head. And you're able to move smoothly and then just grab a sip of air. So I think a lot of that too, what I see with a lot of newer or younger coaches, be it strength or swim is, there's a fear of building out this progression culture because they're afraid of losing short-term business versus coming in as a coach and going, well, I am I am here with a long-term business and I am here for you to buy into this whole process.
0: Yeah. I. What I really love about what you're saying is you don't put a timetable on someone's learning process. And No, When you have, I think just that, not talking about how long something should take to learn and the fact that you don't focus on that. Instead, you just focus on this is the system, but there's no timetable for the system. I'm sure that instills a lot of confidence in the people that you're coaching because you're not comparing them to other people you're not comparing them to some type of norm all you're constantly reminding them is here's the step you were at before here's the step you're at now and what we're working towards is this next step and that's it and there's i think that's really powerful because i think there's a lot well i know myself we at, when you're coaching someone it can be tempting to want to rush something because we think Well, the sooner they get this, the more they'll know the value that I'm bringing them. But that's not, that's not, that's short term value. Where the value is, is giving them the confidence and showing that they can, they can learn something and they can get better. And it's not up to us to decide how long that should take. It's up to us to simply facilitate the process of them learning.
1: That's yeah. Strange. And this is a lesson I kind of I, I learned with with COVID and coming out of COVID. That shutdown was a was a game changer for me and my philosophy. Because once we shut down and everything went virtual, my most of my clients ghosted me. And I understand there was a lot going on in the world and you know, people were dealing with a lot. And it's okay. But the biggest when i was able to get a hold of people and and offer them virtual training to stay fit throughout this 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 major pandemic and fitness is so important and i still have you know members that come in the gym and their stories about how they really stopped working out when covid hit and this is a couple years later to me the biggest objection to virtual training was well is it it's not really worth it without the gym and the equipment. And that's when I stopped and time out on my, myself and my philosophy. And I said, well, what does that say about me and my knowledge and my coaching ability? If the equipment and the gym space is worth more than my expertise and my ability to have a buy-in to a larger teaching and learning process, because any member that comes into the gym has access to the gym floor and the equipment. mm mm-hmm. Right, you get that as part of being a gym member. Personal training, That's that should be my knowledge that you're paying for, not me showing you how to use machines. So that's when I had a you know big moment of reflection and, of course, plenty of time to reflect on really revamping and setting up a system. And that's what I did over shutdown and COVID is setting up a culture and a system where I was a teacher and my value had to do with can i teach you skills and our skills are fitness based these are skills that you use in the gym but you can also take them out into real life for when you don't have a gym and it and it transcends the gym floor or the pool deck and that's really where i reshaped my identity as as being more of a teacher and a coach versus just a trainer because I never want to be in a situation again where my value is tied in with the physical structure of the gym because I have so much more to offer than that. And that's really the value. And coming back from shutdown, I was very fortunate to build my business back within uh, two months, I think, because I came in with this philosophy and I came in with, hey, I'm here, I'm your teacher, I'm here for the long-term. You know, when you play sports in high school and college, you have the same coach for four years. And that's really a big component of your development is having a teacher for four years Mm -hmm. and getting those reps in with the coaching system and culture that you have there.
0: Mm -hmm. I really, that was powerful. First of all, I'm curious, did you notice how, like, how does that show up for you? So thinking about pre-COVID and maybe that wasn't your stated identity and then you had that moment, which I think listening to that, I probably had that moment. I think a lot of people probably had that moment. But the fact that you said, what can I do about this, how do you think that shows up in your personality or the way you interact with your clients or maybe some of the new systems you set up that conveys that idea to people or that gives off that energy that you're not just this personal trainer, you're you're more of a partner to them. And that if they're signing up with you, it's a it's a long-term thing, not so much a short-term thing. How do you think that shows up? And it doesn't have to be direct. It can be something more intangible or even just the way that you feel internally.
1: I think what happened there was being confident and really establishing my identity, it really was authentic for me. And I think I left behind this idea of, for lack of a better way to put it, selling PT And I just presented myself as me and it was authentic. Every time I heard myself speak, it sounded like me and it didn't sound like a line and it didn't sound like a tactic. It was, this is what I am. And here's what I can offer. And I think my, and my product is, is really essential to your day-to-day life, no matter what level of athlete you are. And I can be a true support system because I'm authentic. Uh And I think part of that as well is knowing that when I develop these systems and when I break things apart, I'm really analyzing my craft. I'm analyzing the science. And a lot of people, I think a lot of clients see the work that go into that because There's another component here in order for you to really teach these skills and break them down, you need to be able to cue really well. And that was another thing I spent a lot of time over shutdown is really working on my cueing system. And part of that came from virtual training, right? Because you're not Mm -hmm. physically there. You really have to rely on your auditory cues. And I had, I actually have a couple of clients, one whom I started training and then her friend came on and she First session, she was like, I wanted to start training with you because my friend told me that she learns one little thing every session and it's eye-opening. And it's because you cue things and you break them down so well. And that was her selling point. And that was her selling point. And I didn't realize that because, you know, I also have clients who make fun of me because I have a cue and a uh an analogy for for everything. And it, it gets kind of funny sometimes, but at the end of the day, it works. And you cue enough, you find something that resonates with the client, or you get really savvy with self-limiting positions as you're part of the system here, as you're breaking down each movement and component. What happens is, is when you use self-limiting positions, a lot of the times you build cues in with your clients together. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, a secret language that you have that you both understand. And again, that's a, that's a level of trust. And that's, that's certainly a bond and a support structure that's built in with having a system. They start to know the cues associated with the movement and they start to learn with you. Mm-hmm. And it's very powerful for them. And I, I see it a lot when that when the light bulb goes on and that recognition and they make a connection.
0: What I respect a lot is that you're constantly willing to reinvent the way you do something because it's not about you setting it and forgetting it. Every time I've interacted with you, your approach has always been, I know I can do this better than I'm currently doing it. I'm just trying to figure out where that, what that looks like. During what you just shared, you mentioned self-limiting position. Just to clarify exactly what that means, a self-limiting position is where you think about how do I put my client or my athlete or whomever I'm working with in a position where they can do nothing but succeed in doing what I want them to do, to give everyone context. Do you have an example in the training space of a something you use as a self-limiting position? And then I can give an example from a speaking standpoint.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like to think of self-limiting position, self-limiting positions as simple, not easy. And a good example would be when I'm doing a movement assessment. Uh, movement screen and I'm looking at someone's shoulder mobility and I'm seeing this huge rib flare because they're trying to get the movement from their back and not their shoulders. One of my most favorite self-limbing positions is a half kneeling stance Mm. because you cannot, unless you really want to hyperextend into your lumbar and it's very, very obvious, you have to keep your core and your rib cage aligned in order to save, for example, perform an overhead press. Mm. I love doing this with a lot of anti-movement core exercises as well because it really forces you to stay in alignment and have a nice tall posture otherwise it's glaringly obvious that you're off your stance or you're not going to be able to perform the move you are literally taking joints out that we don't want you to try and use to make sure that you're primarily engaging the muscles that we want you to engage for that particular movement pattern.
0: Yeah, and you force someone in a, into a position where they feel what it feels like to be successful. Coaches who avoid those types of tools where they're not using their voice to cue, are, that comes from a position of being insecure because I don't. we don't need to use our voice to teach all the time. A lot of times if we can find an environmental or visual way to teach and not use our voice, it's usually more effective. Something I was thinking about is I used to teach a lot of Olympic weightlifting. When you teach someone how to clean, a big issue for most people is that as they're doing going through the pole to bring the bar up, the bar gets pretty far away from their body, which brings them forward onto their toes. And then usually they end up dropping the weight. I would hold a PVC pipe right in front of the path of the barbell and have them clean it and say, as you clean it, do not let the barbell hit the PVC pipe. I mean, if it did, nothing bad happens. The PVC pipe falls over. But the fact that they now have a visual barrier that they can't let the bar go in front of it forced them to do it correctly. And then I think about teaching speaking skills. Something I talk a lot about is movement. A lot of people, when they are especially standing up and speaking, they move around a lot because we have a lot of energy, we're nervous. We don't know, we think standing still is not dynamic enough. I've been in coaching scenarios where I've put tape on the floor, just like a that Ted that red Ted circle. There's a reason they have yeah. that there because they want people to be still. We don't have to be moving around in order to be engaging, but that physical barrier that we create is a really great teaching tool and I I think regardless of what you teach, looking for ways to teach without your voice can really set you apart.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's also where the idea of building cues with your clients comes in, because right when you take that PVC pipe away, you still can cue them. Don't hit the PVC pipe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's we're, and I do this a lot with swim and the buoy. When we're talking about entering the water is I give them a buoy to hold up top and that's their target. And then a couple of laps later, I'm like, okay, so now we're going to do it without the target, but I still want you to reach like you're trying to hit that buoy. And without any swim experience, without any Olympic lifting experience, they can still that resonates because they they have in their head, their visual target or, mm-hmm. hey, squat like the band is still around your legs. Yeah. Those things are easy for the, the client to grasp and they know exactly what you're talking about. They can feel they've built a kinesthetic awareness around it as well. So it I find those cues are so much so effective. Mm. I just
0: want to summarize what we've talked about to this point, because I think it's all been interesting and helpful. And there's a lot of little takeaways that anyone listening to this can use is everything that you are teaching or coaching, you have a system for it. And that system can be as granular as that client or athlete needs, or it can be more expansive if your experience with that client has been that granular is overwhelming to them. So then you make it more broad. Within that system, you're not putting time constraints on when someone is supposed to progress from this step in the system to the next step. Instead, you're constantly verbalizing to them where they were in the system, where they've progressed to, and then what we're working toward next. But there's no pressure on them to get it in a certain amount of time. And then within that one step that you're teaching or coaching them on, you're focused on, like you said, creating cues with them based on their own personality and what they respond to. And you don't have restrictions on how far you're willing to take that or in what direction, because you know that it's going to be different for everyone that you're working with. But I think the most Powerful thing for me is what you mentioned about being authentic. And that once you realized that you were showing up in interactions, not trying to be a certain type of person, but instead just embracing the fact that you love what you do. And if you can communicate with the people you work with in a way that shows them how much you love what you do, that you've seen that it builds your business because people can sense genuine. And I've experienced this with you personally. And as we start to get to the end here, I would love if you could share your experience that you went through when you joined the Speakers League. Because since then, every time you talk, I talk to you, you're doing something crazy amazing over at either in personally, professionally, or over at Equinox. And a lot of that was you leaning into who you are as a person and not so much trying to be a certain way. Can you talk a little bit about your own skill acquisition process and as it relates to what we've talked about so far in developing your speaking and presentation skills?
1: Of course. So I practice what I preach. One of my biggest limiters to my barrier that I felt was preventing me from being that authentic coach was my communication skills. From a young age, I got diagnosed with OCD anxiety. For me, even one-on-one interactions, doing assessments were very nerve-wracking. So uh, on a personal communication level, which certainly hindered my ability to communicate with my clients I'm definitely a nervous talker. I'm a bit of a nerd, so it's like an information dump a lot of the times when I would get nervous and talking, and that can be very overwhelming. From a presentation public speaking standpoint, where I also wanted to start to be able to teach my approach and my systems to other coaches and trainers, and even my advancement professionally, it hindered on my ability to get up and present in front of my peers colleagues managers and i would have crippling anxiety getting up and presenting i would be physically shaking i would be blacking out uh not passing out but <laughs> you know it would just tunnel vision while i was speaking and when i went to present for my t to get into the TRX curriculum for promotion, I was shaking so hard that I was having trouble plugging my login in to bring up my presentation in front of like the panel of coaches who were going to review me for this. I just thought to myself, there, there has to be a better way than there. There has to be more, a, a better system. There has to be skills and drills I can do that will help me in this area. There can't the answer, can't be you have to wing it every time you go up and present. Like, you don't have to just deal with it. At least I hope not, because <laughs> I, I would literally the adrenaline dump after a presentation, I would be shot for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking before, I just got back from four days of backpacking across Joshua Tree Desert, and I would feel more fatigue after a 20 minute presentation than I do after that whole weekend of backcountry mm-hmm. hiking. So, I did what again practice what I preach hey if you want to learn something go get a coach find the expert in what you want to do and go go learn from them. I found the speakers League course was coming up through CFSC and I applied to that because I looked at the you know the curriculum and we had talked on the phone and you were like hey we're gonna get here I'm going to give you the strategies and not only I'm going to give you the strategies, we're going to get in reps. You're going to be presenting every class. You're going to have assignments where you're making videos. We're going to go go through it and you're just going to practice it and practice it again. And well, that's my coaching philosophy. So, yeah. hey, this is fantastic. I don't have a system yet. I don't know where to start. So I'm going to go get a coach that sets me up with a system that I can use. And immediately from getting into the class and even first first class where we were literally reading a paragraph and pausing at periods. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, this is it, this is it. Okay, yes, give me a system where I know yeah. I'm pausing at punctuation. Give me a system where I know I'm looking to my left, looking to my right, looking to the center. Let me know that I need to stand to the the left of yeah. the screen or the versus the right of the screen yeah. when you're presenting yeah. like all the tips and tricks and skills and drills this is, this is something I can use and I can build off of. Yeah. Cause that's what, again, that's the core of my coaching philosophy and what I believe is give me something I can use and build on. And that needs to be a solid structure from there. I just, you know, I practiced and went through the course and that was amazing. And each week I knew I was going to be speaking on zoom in front of a group of people I didn't know too well. And I knew I was going to be sitting there with the camera. And then when you were like, Hey, give me one take, no matter what that take looks like. And that was nerve wracking, (laughs) but embracing that, that fear and right. There's nervous energy there. Mm -hmm. And I was dealing with an overwhelming amount of nervous energy speaking, but this was a way for me to structurally embrace it and know Mm -hmm. how to deal with it and maneuver it from here on out. It's, Like anytime I have to give a presentation, and I regularly now give presentations and education talks at work, I I think back to you know your coaching and cues. Those are what's what are in my head, and I can actually I can recall them now because I'm not like tunnel vision, blacked out when I speak. I can. I know when to slow down. I actually just recently did a global education call at Equinox with the same manager who saw me barely be able to type my name into a computer. And it was night and day, even in the middle of this talk where there was 80 something colleagues on the call, I remember to take a breath and stop and talk. I was like, hey, you know what? You're starting to speed up a little, take a sip of water. It was just to have that structure there and that system. I knew what I was doing and I felt confident because mm-hmm. I had experience there now. Yeah. And it was, it was it's been life-changing. It really has.
0: It's all the same. The speaking stuff, the coaching stuff, the yeah. swimming stuff. It's when you have a system that progresses you through the learning process, that the system itself gives you confidence and I think the value that a coach or some type of training program provides is that it forces you to practice because most people, I mean, I I said this at the beginning of our time together is everything I'm going to teach you, you can read in a book, you can watch on YouTube, but the value that I provide is that I'm giving an environment for you to practice and I'm forcing you to practice. And I think that's what for a coach that that's a lot of our value is we're setting up the environment that's going to actually force them to apply what they're learning because most of us won't do that on our own this is powerful stuff jenna i what i if you were going to summarize what you think the big takeaways for the coaches or trainers or health professionals that are listening to this related to skill acquisition or systems what is what's the big takeaway for them
1: When you have a structure, it's a solid foundation and you can always, your clients can lean on it. You can lean on it. Keeping in mind that you're always learning and growing, you can always refine your systems, but having a structure, it's going to support you. It's going to support your business. It will support your clients, which will then in turn support your business. And it's a little bit Scary sometimes to adopt that growth mindset and think outside that short term of, oh, I just, I got to get sell this person in front of me. Mm-hmm. Right. We all, we all need to do that. But if you're providing something that's more, that's life changing for this person, there is going to be much more buy in from them. And you're going to find yourself with lifelong clients and a really fulfilling business. Mm-hmm. And you're able to, I'm able to walk around being my authentic self. And that's, it. it's amazing. And again, thinking back to COVID where I was like, am I going to lose all of this, my day-to-day that what I love doing and just refusing to accept that now walking around, it's so fulfilling. And it's also fulfilling because you're really truly seeing your clients learn. Yeah. Their lives are getting better you are teaching them and that to me is that's really why i became coach yeah
0: yeah to me i keep thinking imagine your client a client comes to you and asks you how are you going to teach me how to do that you should be able to answer with some type of system and if you can't explain your system you're not going to teach them anything yeah what's your system Anything else you want to say before we wrap up?
1: I can't imagine before your class being able to talk off the cuff for an hour <laughs> while being recorded. So thank you for that and your your guidance since then as well. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, Jenna, it's all it was always in you. I just
1: needed to provide the environment. Yeah, this was really <laughs> tremendous
0: and I appreciate you being here and sharing some of what you've learned and how you do it with everyone there's a lot of value in this so thanks for being here
1: thank you for having me
0: thanks for listening to the show as this is a podcast about communication we value and welcome your input any feedback you have and questions about how we could make the show even better for you we'd love it if you click the link in the show notes to do so